In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Five Terrifying College Campus Mysteries Those setting off for university might wonder about the creepy secrets that their campuses keep within their walls. The fact that many students are leaving home for the first time to live among complete strangers in and of itself can be a strange experience, and sometimes the history of your new home is more than you bargain for. Here are five terrifying college campus mysteries. Number five, the case of Jack Davis Jr. Jack Davis Jr. was in his sophomore year at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. On the evening of October 16, 1987, the 20-year-old went out partying with some of his fraternity brothers, as many college students do. They went to various parties all around the small town. His roommates noted that Jack failed to return to his off-campus house that night. He would remain missing until his body was discovered five days later in the stairwell of Wayant Hall, IUP's Life Sciences Building. Indiana Hospital pathologist Stephen Griffin confirmed in his report that the college student was highly intoxicated on the night he vanished. He likely had walked down the stairwell to relieve himself, but collapsed midway, fell down the stairs, and then choked to death on his own vomit. This was the initial ruling. However, it didn't sit well with Jack's family and friends. So they hired renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Cyril Wetch to conduct an independent investigation. Right off the bat, a few discrepancies were found from the first report. The first was the toxicology findings. Jack was known to be drinking heavily on the night he died, and yet there was absolutely no alcohol found in his blood. Wetch also found it rather suspicious that the deceased was said to be clean-shaven on the night he went out with his group, but when his body was found, there was heavy stubble on his face. This led the expert to believe that the young man could have been alive for a significant amount of time before he died. Even more so... A classroom overlooking the stairwell could have offered a clear view of the body, yet not a single person reported seeing it. Despite the heavy rain that fell in the days before the remains were found, Jack's clothes were surprisingly bone dry. By way of Wetch's advice and the family's consent, the young man's body was then exhumed. An autopsy was done, opening up the cranial vault, 
There, they discovered three fractures in three separate areas of the skull with significant bleeding overlying the brain. In short, the pathologist found blood clotting, which, according to him, could possibly be the cause of Jack's death and not him having choked on his vomit. Theories were abound, with one mentioning the possibility of him getting injured during a fight between rival fraternities. The perpetrator, or perpetrators, may have placed the badly injured victim in the stairwell, thinking he'd later recover. In spite of Dr. Wetch's convincing findings, Jack's death remains unsolved to this day due to a lack of evidence. Number 4. Betty Gale Davis As an only child, popular student, and an active church member, Betty Gale Davis was an epitome of a youth well spent. On the night of October 26, 1961, Betty was at Forer Hall, which was a part of the Transylvania College campus in Lexington, Kentucky, for a group study. Around midnight, the students called it quits and decided to go home. The young girl headed to her car and then left campus. A witness reported seeing her in the vehicle driving on Upper Street, which was no more than 10 minutes from her home on Lackawanna Road. Despite the rather short distance to her place, the young woman was found murdered inside her car in front of the old Morrison building on the campus around 3 a.m. by a Lexington policeman who happened to pass by the area. Initial investigations put her estimated time of death at around 1 a.m., She was found strangled to death with her own bra, despite there being no signs of sexual assault. Her belongings, including her purse, books, and notes, were untouched as well. The keys to the car, meanwhile, were found slung into the back seat. Terror and grief struck Betty's family and friends, especially her mother, Quincy, who worked as a local decorator. Even during her college days, Betty had lived with her parents, who adored her for her exemplary disposition in life. She was a consistent honor student, a popular kid at school, and an active member in her sorority, as well as a Sunday school teacher at the local church. Just as her case gained more popularity, so was the notoriety of the perpetrator they simply called the Lexington Boogeyman. There were a number of people who came forward to admit responsibility for the crime, but one person captured the public's interest above everybody else. His name was Alex Arnold. The man from Klamath Falls, Oregon, claimed that he was drunk when he approached the victim's car that evening. He said he saw two women, one being Betty, making out inside the vehicle. He asked for a light, but was shooed away instead. So he reached into the car on Betty's side, grabbed her hair and smashed her head into the dashboard where a bloody stain was found on its surface. The other girl, as the suspect claimed, fled as he strangled the driver with her own bra. Because of this confession, Mr. Arnold was actually tried for the case, but for some reason he was acquitted as the jury couldn't agree on a verdict. It didn't help that he also recanted his statement. Despite his claims, many, even Betty's mother, don't believe that Alex killed her. His testimony was simply too confusing that it didn't give weight when presented in court. 
Lexington police continue to chase down, even to this day, any leads that could lead to an arrest of the killer. As of the moment, several questions still hang in the air, though. Who killed Betty Gale Brown, of course? What was the motive behind the crime? Was it just a random act or possibly somebody that she knew? Number 3. The Haunting at St. Andrews University When we talk about the infamy of old university campuses, a major part of this points to the supernatural. There are a lot of long-standing universities around the world whose buildings, grounds, nooks, and crannies are brimming with entities that don't belong to this world. Introducing St. Andrews University This institution of higher learning happens to be the oldest university in Scotland and the third oldest university in the English-speaking world. That alone should give you hints as to how this place could have such a checkered past. Behind its gothic glamour lies a very dark history tainted with horrifying stories of death, disease, and murders. One of the most well-known paranormal entities on this campus is the White Lady. She was believed to have been one of the ladies-in-waiting for Mary, Queen of Scots. Back in 1586, Queen Mary was accused of plotting the assassination of Queen Elizabeth of England. and Because of this, Mary was beheaded. The White Lady, in her case, died of grief and heartache when her lover was beheaded near the now-ruined St. Andrew's Cathedral. Now she is said to spend her days and nights strolling and grieving within the walls of a ruined abbey. The nearby town of Fife adds more to the notoriety of the place. Its turbulent past goes back even long before the medieval ages. In one instance, pilgrims migrating from all over the Christian world came to visit this little old Scottish county seeking refuge from the plague that had been raging in Europe at the time. Many of them were turned away as they had caught the disease. With nowhere else to go, they sought shelter inside St. Andrews. What transpired after was that most, if not all of them, perished under the roof of the cathedral, which is why a lot of people, especially students of the nearby university, can attest to having the eerie feeling of being watched by beings who all seem to be suffering in extreme agony and are asking for help. Countless books have been written about the ghosts and hauntings of this Scottish university. In fact, for those interested, you can actually take a tour of the different sites in St. Andrews and experience its paranormal vibe for yourself if you dare. Number 2. Arliss Perry Arliss Perry can best be described as a very supportive spouse. She left her hometown of Bismarck, North Dakota, and abandoned the life she had there just so she could be together in California with her husband of just under three months. Bruce Perry, her other half, was in town to pursue his dreams of finishing up med school at Stanford University. Everything was going well for the two. While Mr. Perry was studying, the 19-year-old Arliss found lucrative employment at a local law firm. But tragedy struck the young couple, and it all started with an argument. On October 12, 1974, the Perrys quarreled over their car's flat tire. 
Seeking a break from the tension, Arliss told her husband she wanted to go to Stanford Memorial Church to pray. Bruce headed home. Then came the news on the following morning. A woman had been found inside the church, having been brutally murdered and hidden under the pews. The crime scene was a nasty one to the core. As described in the police report, the victim had been stabbed straight through the skull using an ice pick. The object being still lodged in her skull when she was found. She'd also been choked and badly beaten. The worst thing, though, was that she was sexually assaulted using the candles from the church altar. Mr. Perry was immediately cleared as a suspect, but the leads brought up some very intriguing angles to the case. The day before she was killed, Arliss was seen receiving a visitor at her workplace. The man was unidentified and was only described as having blonde hair. Not that there's anything peculiar about that, but her co-workers noticed something off about the visit. In the testimony from witnesses, they said that the young woman and the visitor engaged in a heated argument. This brought forth some rumors stating that she could have been a victim of a satanic ritual and that the unknown man could be a victim of a cult called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Members of this cult happened to hail from Arliss's own hometown of Bismarck. The group actually released statements implying their responsibility of the crime as well. However, a very solid piece of evidence recovered from the murder scene paved the way for authorities to find the answer to the question of who killed Arliss Perry. At the crime scene was discovered semen smeared on a kneeling pillow beside the victim's body. Palm prints were also discovered on the candles. Neither the semen nor the palm print matched to the husband who was initially considered a person of interest. However, investigators were looking into the possible involvement of a certain Stephen Crawford. Crawford, a former Stanford policeman, worked as a campus security guard He was the first one to report the crime, but the evidence at the time found that he wasn't a match. With so little leads to work on, the case went cold for many decades. But then, in 2018, the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office opted to put the samples under a much more advanced DNA testing procedure. The result was rather expected. Crawford was ultimately linked to the murder as the DNA belonged to him. On June 28th of that same year, operatives of the sheriff's office knocked on the suspect's door with a search warrant. All of a sudden, they heard a gunshot coming from inside the apartment. There, they found the accused lying dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Number 1. Sigrid Stevenson The tragic story of Sigrid Stevenson is something that most people... Even the police found hard to wrap their heads around. Sigrid, as what many friends and family members have said, was a woman who lived for piano music. Her passion in playing the instrument was beyond compare, so much so that she could often be found sneaking into the famous Kendall Hall, an auditorium at then Trenton State College, to play the piano. She was at the school, hoping to get a master's degree in music, and ultimately become a teacher. But on the night of September 4, 1977, 
something tragic occurred. It was less than a week before the classes for the first semester of 1977 would begin, and like most other days, the graduate student once again snuck into the building to practice. Later in the evening, Trenton State College campus police officer Thomas Kokotajlo did his rounds. He came into the theater and discovered what looked to be small splatters of blood on the floor. Curious, he followed the blood trail until he came upon the lifeless body of a woman hidden and wrapped inside the piano covers. The scene was rather shocking. The female was naked, face down with her hands bound. She had been bludgeoned to death. Sigrid had been beaten so severely that she was unrecognizable. If not for her hair, the 25-year-old woman wouldn't have been identified. A murder investigation was immediately launched. Both the Ewing and TSC campus police conducted hundreds of interviews and interrogation procedures within the community. They even resorted to conducting polygraph tests on select individuals, but to no avail. The family of the victim went on to hire a local private investigator, but that as well proved fruitless. There were theories that the crime could have been done by someone involved in the local law enforcement, and that this individual may have been receiving protection. However, many believe that the killing was more of a personal matter. Given the ferocity of the beating, investigators also believe that she knew her killer. Many years have passed. The university's name has since been changed to the College of New Jersey, but the mystery behind the murder of Sigrid Stevenson remains to be solved. Even to this day, more than four decades since the musician's dead body was discovered, not a single person has ever been arrested for the horrific crime. Just as the people who loved and admired her seek answers, apparently Sigrid herself is unable to find eternal rest until her murderer is caught. According to several people, Kendall Hall is haunted by her troubled spirit. Several campus residents have sworn to hearing her music emanating from the hall, even though no one was playing the piano. Doors can also be heard slamming shut when no one is near them. There are also students who felt as though they were being followed by a strange shadow or silhouette they believed to be the girl whose life was cut short in a horrendous way back in 1977. So there were five terrifying college campus mysteries. College life surely is exciting, but when the time comes and you're sitting all alone, you never really know who's watching you behind the campus shadows. And if you're taking a late night stroll, let these tragic stories of young men and women serve as a cautionary tale to always watch your back. If you enjoyed watching this video, then please subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell because every week we're putting out two new videos for you to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.